0: morning, morning. y'all. This morning, as we continue our study of the attributes of God, um, this morning we will cover um, righteousness, justice, and the wrath of God. And I'll pray before we begin. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day morning. We are so blessed, and I want to pray that you would bless our time as we look into these attributes of you, Almighty God. Prepare us for worship this morning as your people come in from around the county, bring them safely, we do ask, prepared to worship, prepared to hear. We do praise you, we thank you, in Christ's name, Amen. When we began the series, um, I said that as we ferret out the attributes of God one by one, um, we must view them in in perfect harmony with all the other attributes as they are perfectly harmonized in, in the person of Almighty God, which as I said is a matter of trying to fathom the Unfathomable. It's trying. It's an attempt to comprehend the incomprehensible. Um, as finite creatures um, studying the, the essence of infinite God, um, we will never fully comprehend um, in, a, in an exhaustive sense um, our Creator who is infinite, even in glory. We will not know Him in an exhaustive sense because He is infinite. We are forever finite as a redeemed people. And as we study his attributes, God um, always transcends um, the best descriptions that we have of him so as to understand him. And still, um, he has condescended um, to reveal himself to us by way of the living scriptures. So it's always a joy to to dig into the word of God um, as he has revealed himself. Um, A month ago, we considered the holiness of God. It's the only attribute of God mentioned in triplicate. Scripture declares that God is holy, holy, holy. We looked at Isaiah 6. We hear that in Revelation chapter 4. And if God says something... About his essence and character once, that's enough to settle it. Amen? If he says it twice, that's emphasis. If he says it three times, it means that it is of supreme importance. God is thrice holy. God is holy, holy, holy. And um, in the manifestation and outworking of his holiness, There are two other attributes that um, are, although distinct, they function as branches of his holiness. There is what's referred to as the legislative branch or the governing branch, that is his righteousness, and the judicial branch, which of course is his justice. And then from out of that comes his wrath a tributary of holy, righteous justice, God's wrath. So while holiness has to do with the pure character of God himself, um, righteousness and justice express that character in his dealings and governings of the affairs of his image-bearing creatures. Now, if you think about society, any just society must be legislated and governed by laws, amen? Or it's not just, it's not a just society, so if God is holy, righteous, and just, and he treats his image-bearing creatures on the basis of his legislative righteousness, that is, his law, his commanded will, which are concrete expressions of his righteous standards, that then is what he expects of his creatures, to live righteously. So that means his holy righteousness requires that he demonstrate Legislative justice. Amen? Make sense? So as one theologian has said, these two perfections, righteousness and justice, we can think of as the outworking of God's holiness in his government in the universe. End quote. So let's begin then. We'll look at on the screen, that is, I don't have a text for you to open, to I have numerous texts to, to take a peek at, but we'll begin with Psalm 7, verse 17. We read, "I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord, Most High." Psalm 71, verse 19, "For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens you." Who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Now, God is not defined by the term righteous as much as the term righteous is defined by God. God is not measured by the standard of righteousness, He sets the standard. For righteousness. Ezra 9 verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. For we have been left in escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For no one can stand before you because of this. So, so God's perfect, eternal Intrinsic righteousness compels him to do that which is utterly right. He is righteous. So for him to do that which is utterly right is to uphold the worth the worth of the most infinite, infinitely valued thing, valued thing that is in the universe, and that is his glory. To uphold his glory, which is infinitely glorious. Psalm, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 42, 8, we read, I am the Lord, I don't have this. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will give to no other. Psalm 119, 142, your righteousness is Everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. So first then, um, God reveals his righteousness by revealing his will and his word to and through his people. That is to the world. He reveals it to the world. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. Moses speaking, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, Just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, verse 8, or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? God reveals his righteousness by revealing his will and his word to the world through his people. New Testament, 2 Peter 1, verse 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, verse 19, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place. So again, God reveals his righteousness by revealing his will and his word to the world through his covenant people. Secondly, God reveals his righteousness by fulfilling his promises. God reveals his righteousness by fulfilling his promises. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 8, The Lord God made a covenant with Abram. To give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, <clears throat> of the Amorite, of the, Periz- of the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Gergesite, and every other kind of it. To give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. God reveals his righteousness when he shows merc- mercy and compassion. Psalm 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. The Lord preserves the simple. And here I stand. Amen? Righteousness revealed by showing mercy and compassion. So again, from out of his holiness comes the legislative branch of God's righteousness. Out of holiness is the arm of righteousness, and um, along with the governing branch comes his judicial branch, justice. God reveals his righteousness by judging, in the Old Covenant, the enemies of Israel. God reveals his righteousness by judging his enemies. Exodus 9, verse 27, Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. (laughs) I always love that. I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one. And I and my people are the wicked ones. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. Just. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God also reveals his righteousness by warning what rebels under his justice will incur. Okay? Again, God reveals his righteousness by warning what rebels under his justice will incur. Look at it. Matthew 10, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell you know what that is right wrath wrath whoever denies me before men said the lord i will deny before my father what is wrath it is the personal manifestation of god's holy moral character and his judgment against sin. Paul, addressing um, even the the religious, that is religious readers, who I believe are, are apparently unregenerate, he warns them in Romans chapter two. He says this, that because of your stubbornness, and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So God's wrath, I don't think this is any surprise, but God's wrath is an attribute that many would like to forget Because far too many people picture God as some doting um, grandfather, you know, with a twinkle in his eye, who wouldn't, for a moment, think of punishing anyone. Yeah. A.W. Pink said in his work, Attributes of God, quote, It is sad indeed to find so many professing Christians who appear to regard the wrath of God as something for which they need to make an apology. Or at least wish there were no such thing. And then he goes on to say that many Christians go so far as to say that God's wrath is a blemish on his character. J.I. Packer in his classic work, Knowing God, he writes, and I quote, the fact is that the subject of divine wrath has become taboo in modern society, and Christians, by and large, have accepted the taboo and conditioned themselves never to raise the matter. Okay, so here, 46 years later, after that work, Knowing God, 46 years later, though divine wrath is not merely viewed as a taboo, today it's actually laughed at. And with that in mind, there's two facts that stare us in the face. And the first is that Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven. Okay, and number two, the Bible speaks more about wrath than it does love. Yeah, you go look it up yourselves. Someone was pondering it. Just go look it up. Nevertheless, we can speak of divine wrath as a function of divine love. We can speak of divine wrath as a function of divine love because God's wrath is the result of his love for holiness, righteousness, truth and justice. So as God is holy, he must pour out his wrath on all that is unholy. Because he's righteous and just. He's just. He's right. So therefore, wrath refers to a settled, determined indignation, and that is God's intense hatred of sin. God hates sin. So divine wrath, um, is not, it should not be thought of as you know, God lashing out on those who you know, rub him the wrong way. Wrath, the wrath of God, is righteous antagonism against all that is unholy pure righteous antagonism. So God's wrath then is not uncontrollable rage. It's not God having a temper tantrum. It's not vindictive bitterness. And as a matter of fact, if God loses his temper, that means he's lost control. I lose my temper, I lose control the fearful thing about God's wrath is that he is in total control. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Because he is holy. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. Notice all the aspects of God's character there. We read these words avenging, wrathful. We read vengeance, indignation, and anger. You know, some folks argue when they read the Old Testament, you know, where God, for instance, you know, commands Israel to exterminate the entire population of, of Jericho, for example. You know, to to go into um, Canaan and and wipe everyone out. Men, women, and children. Right? So they read this, and and, and they'll say things like this. How could God, how, how could a just and loving God cause the extermination of innocent people in Jericho? Or in Canaan, right? And the answer is that he couldn't. And that he didn't. He could not and he did not. The fact is, not one innocent person in Jericho died. No innocent Canaanite ever died. As a matter of fact, the Canaanites were the most depraved, depraved, debauched, degenerate people of their day. Did anyone innocent perish in the flood? No. I've heard people say that on TV. They talk about the flood. If God's so loving and so just, how could he wipe out innocent people? There there weren't any. There's only one who's ever been innocent. And we'll get to him. Now others insist, believe it or not, that the God of the Old Testament is not the God and Father of Jesus of the New Testament. (laughs) Because, you know, the God of the Old Testament is, is, is wrathful and vengeful and evil, they say, whereas the God of the New Testament is loving and compassionate. What do we read? Revelation 19, 15. He, Jesus, he, Jesus, second person of the Godhead. Eternal Son of God, Jesus, incarnate Son of God, treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Nevertheless, the wrath of God has been likened to the, the black velvet backdrop upon which a jeweler. Place a diamond. You ever heard that? I think was that Spurgeon who said that? Because it's the black velvet, the backdrop, that causes the diamond to, to burst with beauty and to sparkle. It's the wrath of God that causes the grace of God to burst forth and sparkle. So, there, there, w- w- without wrath, there is no amazing in grace. God, who's holy and just, and wrathful. Without wrath, there is no glorious grace. Finally, then, God reveals his righteousness. In saving, sin, in saving sinners, not separate from his justice. Amen? God reveals his righteousness in saving sinners, not separate from his justice. Psalm 98.2, look at it. The Lord has made known his salvation he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations okay so god does not forgive sinners you know just because he's god a lot of people think you know god is god and it's his job to forgive you know we sin and he just forgives not not so God's justice can never be set aside. God's justice can never be nullified. God's justice can never be negated. If it were, he would not be what? Righteous. He would not be righteous. If God's justice is set aside or nullified, then he's not righteous. So he must accept he must forgive, he must receive, he must regenerate sinners in a way that does not denigrate, but in a way that demonstrates his own glory. Shown where? At the cross. The cross. The cross is the demonstration. Of God's righteousness, the demonstration of God's justice, the demonstration of God's wrath and God's love, which we'll look at. That'll be our last attribute before summer break. That's next week love and grace. What a way to end. (laughs) You don't get there without wrath. So the cross is is the satisfaction of the justice of God demonstrating at the same time the peace of God. Or in the words of Psalm um, 85, it is where righteousness and peace have what? Kissed. Where righteousness and peace have kissed, in the words of Psalm 85. So that as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, God is both just and the, and the justifier. He is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus who bore the wrath because God is just and righteous. Justice and righteousness have come together at the cross God's glory is put on display at the cross where he punishes sin and satisfies the demands of his justice. Satisfies the demands of his perfect holy law. Upholding his righteousness, he pours out his wrath on an innocent substitute, his beloved son. So his his righteousness is upheld because his justice has been satisfied. Fully satisfied. So the righteousness of God, again, the righteousness of God is the, the, the ground or the basis upon which a believing sinner is pronounced to be what? Righteous. On the ground of God's righteousness, we're declared to be righteous because of the cross, the finished work of Christ. So God's righteousness and salvation is always joined together with God himself, it's not separate from God. He can't just forgive. He can't sweep it under the rug because he's just. So it's all his doing, Amen. It's all his grace. It's all his mercy. So he gets all the what? He gets all the glory. In other words, salvation is, is not a cooperative effort. Right? Last time we looked at um, unconditional election under the attribute of, of the foreknowledge of God. Okay? Foreknowledge is not to what? It's not to foresee. Foreknowledge is not to foresee if foreknowledge is not God looking down uh, the channels of time to see what people and w- will and will not do with regard to him it's f- foreknowledge is to for love Pro Gnosco, he he sets his love upon pro is that he, he did it beforehand to foreknow first corinthians one verse 30 but But This is his doing. That is, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, so that no man may what? Boast before God. This is his doing. By his doing, you are in Christ. Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. So in, in salvation if God is going to save, which is something he's not obligated to do, if he's going to save, then it is solely a matter of grace and mercy, having decreed to save some before the foundation of the world, as we looked at last week. So therefore, he had to save sinners in a way that is consistent with his own character and righteousness. He is righteous. He is just because he is thrice holy. So for God to uphold um, his righteousness, it's quite clear then that salvation is not synergistic. It's not a cooperative effort where God does his work We do our work, he does his part, we we do our part. Holy creator does his part along with depraved creatures. They do their part, depraved creatures. Not possible. He saves us through faith. He saves us through faith, but, but technically it's not faith that saves Amen? It's not faith that saves. Christ saves through faith, which is a gift of holy, righteous, just God. So faith then is not meritorious. It is the response of grace Given to us is a gift that transforms us and enables us to reach out the hand, so to speak, to receive the precious gift because he will share his glory with no one. So in salvation, the righteousness of God, as we read over and over again, is gratuitous. It's a gift. Something given to man without, you know, any any compensation required, is Isaiah 55, come, 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 buy wine, buy milk, without money, without cost. Romans 3, verse 24, notice, being justified, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You'll hear some of these verses next week as well. Romans 4 verse 5. Now to him that works not, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So therefore the believer, the believer now regenerate, regenerated, by God, who is holy, righteous, and just, the believer who's, who's regenerated, given a heart of flesh, a heart of stone has been removed, is also enabled now by God the Holy Spirit and inclined to holiness instead of sin. And as the scripture says, he is made willing. He is made willing, for God works in him to will and to do for his good pleasure. The one who's holy, 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 righteous, and just, who's redeemed sinners, declaring them as righteous. Inclined now. Desirous of holiness. to to live out what we are by grace. So when God chooses to save, when God chooses to save a sinner, he's the only one who does all the work, therefore he receives all the glory. This is all to uphold his glory. Holy, righteous, just God. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. You know, when once we enter the glorified presence of God, we're in heaven. We're in the the scene of, you know, Revelation 4 and 5, and we're, we're rejoicing there. We're together with redeemed people from throughout the ages and throughout the world. You know, when we're there, not one redeemed soul will ask another redeemed soul, hey, how did you get here? Right? No one is going to say, I woke up one day and I realized God has done all that he can do. It's up to me to do the rest. There's actually a ridiculous book by the name of that by that title. Something like that. God has done all that he can do, the rest is up to you. Blasphemy. You know, and if you're in heaven and you say that, then I could say, well, and and here's Johnny. I woke up, I realized, and here I am. How about you? No, it's not gonna happen. All we're gonna say, the Lord Jesus Christ saved me. According to his holy, righteous justice, the wrath of God poured out upon the son in my place. That's what we'll say. And we'll sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb of God before the throne. So the only part of salvation is our, that's ours is the what? The sinning. That's the only part that we play with regard to that work. It's the sinning. God does all the saving. And it's all for his glory. Holy, holy, holy God who is righteous and Just. Our only part is the absolute violation and assault of his holiness. That's our part. And that leads us into the grace of God for next week. So, God, who is holy, 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 is righteous, he is just, and the justifier pouring out his wrath. Upon his innocent son, in the place of all those whom he, as the scripture says, foreknew, and those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and these whom he predestined, he called, and these whom he called, he, what? Justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And in it, God upholds his glory. The God who's holy, righteous, and just. Amen. Lord, we do thank you. As we learn about the wrath, we learn about your divine wrath is in itself also a portrait of your divine love. You love what is holy, righteous, upright, pure. And you sent him to become sin, having never sinned so that we could sit here today and understand and know deep within that we have been justified. And we thank you and praise you for Christ's sake. Amen.